Welcome to the Leadership Window Podcast with Patrick Jinks. Each week, through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is an LSI certified leadership coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and professional speaker. And now, here's Patrick. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 38 of the Leadership Window podcast. I am Patrick Jinks, leadership and strategy coach and president of the Jinx Perspective. And this week, I'm going to repurpose a piece of content for you. It's recent. Um, in the last couple of weeks, I had the opportunity to sit down with Shannon Simmons at SC Thrive, a tremendous nonprofit organization and network of nonprofit organizations here in South Carolina. And before too long, we're going to have their CEO on this show, uh, Trisha Richardson. I've done a lot of work with SC Thrive and um, I'm just honored that they would reach out and ask me to be a part of their YouTube series called Real People, Real Conversations. And so I had a chance to do that, and I just want to share that with you because we talked about leadership, we talked about strategy, we talked about the social determinants of health, and I just thought this would uh, actually fit well into the content that this podcast is all about. So with their permission, I'm repurposing it. And so uh, we'll get that going in just a minute. Before we do, please don't tune out for the next few seconds because Michael Wallace at Leadership Systems has a special message for you. Hey, this is Michael Wallace with Leadership Systems Incorporated, and on behalf of LSI, I want to say thanks for supporting our friend Patrick Jinks and the Leadership Window Podcast. We've been partnering with Patrick for many years, and we are so proud to have him represent us as an LSI certified executive coach. As a mutual friend, we'd like to offer you exclusive rates on some of the same training that Patrick has received over the years, as well as some new experiences that we've been developing. Head over to leadershipsystems.com slash jinx to see the upcoming training events on our calendar and register today to keep learning and growing. Again, that's leadershipsystems.com slash jinx, J-I-N-K-S, for exclusive pricing on LSI's virtual and in-person training events. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate the folks at Leadership Systems for offering those discounts exclusively to listeners of this podcast. So I hope you'll take advantage of that. So SC Thrive is an organization here in South Carolina. We'll say more about them later because in uh, future episodes, we're going to be talking about them at length, but they're an organization basically that connects people to resources here in South Carolina and they uh, strive to serve the underserved and make sure that people have access to some of the most basic things we need in life. And they use a network of other nonprofit organizations and providers across the state to get this done. And just tremendous leadership. Everyone I have ever met on their staff team is just extraordinary. These are, um, I don't know. This is kind of, for me, this is sort of how you do it, right? You get talented, competent people who are also passionate about the purpose and you put them together and you let them, you let them figure things out together. And boy, what a, what a culture of leadership that they're creating there. And a few weeks ago, Maria Garcia Rio Pedre is their social media and marketing coordinator. She reached out to me and said, Hey, we'd love to have you on our real people, real conversations YouTube channel and just, you know, an interview. And she said, it'll be 30 to 30 to 60 minutes long. And we just want to talk about leadership and what you're doing and coaching and strategy. 
But our theme at our annual training this fall is going to be on the social determinants of health. And so how does all that tie to leadership? I am also honored to be their keynote speaker this year, uh, this fall, one of their keynote speakers at their uh, conference, at their annual training. And so this is a little bit of a preview of that, but a, a conversation with Shannon Simmons, who is SC Thrives Marketing Communications Coordinator, about these various things and how they are connected. So uh, with that being said, here is the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this segment of Real People, Real Conversations. Today, we're going to be discussing the social determinants of health and how they connect to our this year's annual training in the, in the fall. And today, we're joined by founder of The Jeans Perspective, Patrick Jeans. So, Patrick, would you like to introduce yourself to us? Well, thank you, Shannon, and for SC Thrive for having me on uh, this program. I've watched a number of your Real People, Real Conversations, and they're great. Just such a great resource for people. Um, thank you for having me on. I'm, I, I think the best way I could describe myself is that I'm a coach um, and I spend a lot of effort and energy differentiating between a coach and a consultant. So for example, um, I'm not an expert in social determinants of health whatsoever. However, a number of my clients are in the organizations that I work with. And so I'm certainly familiar with the importance of the social determinants of health. But my role in, in the Jinx perspective is to help leaders of nonprofits elevate their thinking. So that's instead of coming with answers, as often a consultant would be expected to do, I come with the questions that draw out and elevate your best thinking or the best thinking of the executive if I'm doing executive coaching or the management team if I'm coaching them or the board of directors if I'm coaching them through strategic planning because I apply a coaching model even to that. So that's what we do. We help clients all over the United States and uh, even some global uh, international organizations that we've worked with. And we've been really thrilled to do a lot of diverse work with SC Thrive and the work you're doing. So I'm a proud partner with you as well. You all have been one of the organizations we've worked a lot with. We've done, we've worked with you on leadership development and coaching and a little bit on strategy, not so much. And of course, we've participated in your annual training a couple of times now. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. So when you talk about the coaching, can you please talk about the Jinx perspective? What is that all about for somebody that maybe is new um, to the field, maybe is new to leadership? What, what do you guys do and what would that offer for a nonprofit or a new leadership? Yeah, great question. Well, first of all, the name, the Jinx perspective, it can be looked at a lot of different ways, but it really kind of came from my previous life as a semi-professional photographer. And uh, I, I won some awards and, and uh, was able to do some, some tourism photography for municipalities and shoot concerts and did a lot of wedding photography. And I learned in my photography work that perspective is everything. Uh, you know, you, you have your wide angle, you have your close up, you have, do I get up high and get a good shot from a vantage point or do I come down low and get a really creative shot? So leadership is the same way. It's all about perspective. It's about putting yourself in other people's shoes sometimes to think about how the different um, perspectives come together. The Jinx perspective, it's also sort of an out for me, right? I just say, look, if when I say something, if I give you advice or a recommendation, 
take it with a grain of salt. It's just the jinx perspective, which is only one perspective. And that's the, really the whole concept of coaching is that it's not about, it really isn't about my perspective. It is about yours. So uh, we do executive leadership coaching. I'm a certified leadership coach with Leadership Systems Incorporated, where I do a little bit of corporate executive coaching as well. So we do executive leadership coaching, and we also do team coaching, manager coaching. And like I said, we do board coaching on everything from strategic planning to board engagement. Um, and there are some other, you know, different sorts of things that we can offer for our nonprofits, but that's really the crux of it is that intersection between leadership and strategy. And we try to um, give nonprofits a more fresh approach to strategic planning than the conventional sort of fill in the blank formulaic kinds of strategic planning that often doesn't get nonprofits very far. So that's primarily the work we do. And, and as I said, there's three things we're trying to help nonprofits achieve, either organizationally or individually, clarity, simplicity, and alignment. And the work that we're doing, the work that, that SC Thrive is doing is incredibly complex. There's layer upon layer upon layer of factors and complexity that come into um, the things like the social determinants of health or the other social issues that we face in our communities. It's very complex. And what that means is it, it often makes it difficult for people to engage with us because it's just too complicated. It's too hard. It's too complex. I don't have a PhD in social work. Um, so simplifying the complex is really important. The ability for nonprofits to be able to be succinct and concise about what they're about, what they're trying to change and how you can help. Awesome, that sounds really good. And I think this is probably like the perfect conversation whenever you brought up the, um, your former work in photography because I'm a photographer as well too. So like that is a really good connection. I'm a very visual person um, when it comes to just any type of project or anything that I do. So I'm really glad that we're having this conversation today for sure um, and that, connection between perspective, it definitely does apply to like every single aspect of your life and work and everything like that. So um, anything else that you can say, like what led you to establishing the Jinx perspective? Is there like a certain story or a certain event that happened? It certainly wasn't any single event. Um, my yeah. background is in the nonprofit world. I spent over two decades with the United Way Network. So a lot of the people that would be watching this YouTube channel are familiar with United Way somewhat. And I was the CEO of two United Ways in the country. I was interim CEO of two others. I was a chief strategy officer for, a, for the largest state association in the country. I've served on the National Professional Council for United Way. So my, my, uh, I tell people I bleed United Way blue. My, my experience with United Way goes deep. And because of that, my experience with the nonprofit sector goes deep because United Way works much like much like SC Thrive. Um, the United Way network deals with lots of the sector and lots of organizations. And so the other thing about United Way is that you get to learn a lot about a lot when you work for United Way. You, you learn about marketing and fundraising. Mm -hmm. You learn about community impact. You learn about outcome measurement. 
you learn about collective impact and collaborating, you learn about um, nonprofit law and, uh, you know, the, so the, um, the United Way Network really prepared me to work with the sector because it gave me a, a broad knowledge. While I was leading in the United Way Network, I realized that the two things that I did the best as a as an executive leader were strategy and leadership. So the launch of the Jinx Perspective actually happened while I was still working with United Way. It was kind of a side hustle. And uh, I thought that it married well with the work I was doing at United Way. I was kind of able to help people outside our community with some of the things that we were successful with inside our community. And at some point, I just finally reached a point where I said, you know what, it, it's time to just launch this thing full time and serve the sector from this perspective, so to speak. And I just found that I'm able to do more by taking those things that I was best at as an executive, not spend so much time on the things that I wasn't so good at as an executive and focus the the good, the my assets and gifts on the sector in a different way. So I feel like I, I can have an even greater impact that way. I've always been a student of leadership and I've always had somewhat of a, of a gift in the coaching world, particularly the ability to sort of synthesize information. One of the things that I spend a lot of time on with my coachees is listening carefully to them, synthesizing it and mirroring it back in a way that um, makes good sense and, and creates clarity the people that I'm coaching. So there's a lot of sort of mirroring back and synthesizing. It's just work I enjoy and found that I was good at. And um, as, as Priya Parker's mother told her once uh, in trying to help her establish her purpose, she said, what are you good at and where is there need for it? And that's mm -hmm. what I did. I found out what I was good at and I found there's definitely a need for it throughout the sector. And so here we are. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, the one thing that I can pull from that is um, you emphasize just over time, like it builds up and grows over time. You just build on top of one thing on top of the next, and then you just kind of find it within your sector. So that kind of leads into the next point of discussion when we just talk about leader leadership and strategy specifically. So let's kind of dive into like how does how is leadership and strategy important for nonprofits? What's some things that you've seen, even if there's like a specific example you can think of or swear you can tell, how did, how, why is that so important in the nonprofit sector? You know, Shannon, you would think that that question was unnecessary, right? Mm -hmm. You're talking about, you know, why is leadership and strategy important for nonprofits? You know, you kind of think of it, on the surface, you would look at that question and go, why? Really? <laughs> like, of course it's important. But here's the thing. People would be surprised how little attention either or both of those things get in a lot of nonprofits. And quite frankly, I think it's part of the reason that the nonprofit sector is underproducing and underperforming. And I, I believe that it is. That's not a slam on any single nonprofit. But I think as a sector, uh, we could do a lot more. We could move a lot faster. And we could make more measurable difference if we spent as much time on strategy and leadership development as we do on board recruiting, governance, fiduciary matters, grant writing, you know, the sort of technical things within the nonprofit. Some people call leadership the soft skills. I've always had trouble with that term because I don't think that that makes them sound I understand where the where the term comes from. It's those hard to define skills, which makes them soft and mushy. 
but they're not mm -hmm. soft in terms of importance um, or difficulty, by the way. So when I hear the term, I have the soft skills, oftentimes we hear that and we think that leadership development is this luxury that only the big nonprofits have or that, yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice to do some leadership stuff, but that's more the soft, you know, that's fluff. That's, that's luxury stuff. That's gravy on top of the real work here that we're doing. And I take issue with that. I say that leadership is the real work you're doing. More and more, the nonprofits in our sector are realizing that to get their missions accomplished, they've got to do it with other people. They're not going to do it in their boardrooms. They're not going to do it with their individual programs. We're part of an ecosystem that requires influence and um, collaboration and working together and learning from each other. So leadership really is the work. It's what's required to accomplish any mission that we have. And when it comes to strategy, um, I think we often take for granted the, the value of strategy because we think that our, our stated missions really is all we need. Like, look, you know, we're a homeless organization. We, what, what do you mean strategy? We're trying to end homelessness. How's, how, <laughs> how difficult it be? Like, what else do we need to say? Well, strategy is your battle plan. It's, it's how you're going to approach um, the, the issue that you're trying to solve or the assets you're trying to bring to the community. It literally is. I mean, imagine, I think it was, I think it was Dwight Eisenhower that said there's a, there's a specific quote and I never get it exactly right, but something like planning is uh, indispensable but plans are useless, something like that. And his point was, I didn't get it right, but his point was when you go into a war, for example, um, things come at you that were unexpected. You can't foretell the future. And so whatever strategy you came up with oftentimes has to change immediately. So he's making that point, but he's also saying, but imagine going to war without a strategy. Imagine going to war and just going, okay, so where's the enemy where it lets low. What do we do? Um, imagine the soldiers not having uh, directives that align to a greater mission. Like, you know, we're going to, we're going to populate this area heavily first and we're going to come from the side or we're going to, you know, create a perimeter or we're going to use air strength. You have to have a strategy. Otherwise you're just going day by day and just kind of hoping that the hard work you're doing is going to be the right thing at the right place at the right time. And as someone has, uh, many people have said now for a long time, hope is not a strategy. <laughs> it's needed, but it, it's not enough. So yeah, we could, I mean, we don't have time. I can talk for weeks about <laughs> leadership and strategy. And the last thing I will say about it here is that they are absolutely connected. A strategic mm -hmm. plan. I always say this, a strategic plan without leadership behind it is just a document. I mean, we all have them. Well, actually, we don't all have them, believe it or not. I'm, I'm still surprised by how many nonprofits who have been around a while tell me, I don't think we've ever done a strategic plan. Um, and so, but when you have one, it's, it's no more than a set of pages with words on them without leadership. And leadership is, uh, it's a, there's, a, there's a new set of skills required today than what was required 50 years ago to run a nonprofit. And I think anybody listening to this would agree with that and go, yeah, it's a different world today. So um, they go hand in hand and they're critical. 
Definitely. Um, one thing that we discuss here a lot too on our team is um, that, you know, everyone is a leader in their own way. And uh, sometimes we get bogged down and think that just because your title is a certain thing that you are the leader and whatnot. But I, I do agree that everyone is a leader in their own way within your team, within your group. Um, do you see that sometime in your trainings? You do you, How do you feel about that? You said it perfectly, Shannon. I could not agree more. Um, I might make one, I have to think about this. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. when you say everyone is a leader, I would say everyone can be a leader. Mm -hmm. I, I do think you have to, so maybe this will help uh, explain my perspective on it again. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that is to, let me give you our definition of leadership at the Jinx perspective. Mm -hmm. Leadership is a window of opportunity during which vision, inspiration, and empowerment converge to propel people toward a shared goal. That's a long definition, so I'd, I'd love to break it down for you if I can. One, it's a window of opportunity. Leadership is a moment. And whether we seize it or not is up to us. We have to recognize, hey, I think there's an opportunity to lead here. I think there's a gap to fill, or I think there's a vision to pursue. There is a window of opportunity that's open right now for leadership. Who's going to fill that? Who's going to walk through that window? And so I think leadership happens in moments. I think leaders as individuals, when you call somebody a leader, uh, they're only leading when they're leading, right? So they're, they're only leaders when they're leading, which means they have to identify and seize the windows of opportunities throughout the day, throughout their careers that, that give them an opportunity to lead. So window of opportunity, during which I mentioned three things converging. Vision, inspiration, and empowerment. So you got to have, where are we going? There has to be a purpose to this. People have to say, okay, I see where we're going. And by the way, I want to go there. I, that vision is compelling to me. Mm -hmm. The second thing is it's got to be inspiring. So the vision can't be of gloom and doom. And it's got to be something clear enough that, again, people want to go along the journey with you. And third, people have to be empowered. And I know that's a, a trigger word for some because it can it can say superiority, not the definition of it in this context. In this context, it's about leadership is not the leader performing all the work and the miracles. It's about distributing the and 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 enabling and empowering the team to work together. Um, so when vision, inspiration, and empowerment converge to and here's the final part of the definition to propel people means you have to move, which means you have to change toward a shared goal, not just the leader's goal. I'll give you another Dwight Eisenhowerism here. Uh, he wants to find leadership as the art of getting people to do things you want done because they want to do it. So there has to be that sense of shared goal. We all have a common agenda and a common goal that we're pursuing. When we step through that window of opportunity with those three things, we're leading. And that is not, you, you said it, that is not tied to a title, a position, a, a, a role. It's not tied to a hierarchy or it's not even tied to authority. It's a different kind of power than authority. It's influence. And uh, if you're a CEO, for example, and you're not influenced by others or you're not allowing yourself to be influenced by the talent and the wisdom and the experience and the assets and the gifts of your team uh, you're you're really missing out and probably not leading a really effective organization so i believe that leadership happens upward downward and sideways
Awesome, definitely well said. Um, so we can kind of um, shift now to annual training. Um, you've been a long time attendee, sponsor and speaker, and you're gonna be one of our speaker, our keynote speakers this year as well. Um, so can you talk about your experiences at um, SE Thrive's annual trainings over the yeah, years? Yeah, I'm so excited to, to, to come mm -hmm. back and, and, and uh, do this and from a different seat, right, as a keynote. Uh, yeah, I've done some workshops with you, and I've uh, I've been a um, an exhibitor, vendor, whatever you call them. Uh, you know, someone who can be at the conference and make myself accessible to the participants there, who may need or want some help in leadership and strategy for their teams or their organizations. And it's been super productive for me. So just like from a, a cold hard business point of view. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've set up, I've set up tables at, uh, a lot of conferences. I don't know of another one that has any more valuable interaction and engagement for me than the SC Thrive conference uh, or training. And so as a vendor, it's just been great as a presenter. Well, it's just an honor to be able to do that at any point in time. I do love that, um, SC Thrive is not limiting themselves and their training offerings to those technical things. The fact that you would invite someone like me to talk about the power of questions or to talk about using coaching in the workplace, in your organization, or to talk about how to do strategic planning more effectively. Uh, none of those things are into how to end homelessness or how to end poverty or how to run a free clinic. Those are the technical aspects. You need someone else to do that work. But the fact that you realize that our nonprofit leaders need it all, they need that technical management training and they need that leadership development training to go along with it has just been outstanding. Um, you know, I've, I've enjoyed every, every uh, annual training that I've come to. I will say this, and I don't know if I'm getting ahead and answering some of your follow-up questions on it, but um, I will say one thing that is different uh, about the SC Thrive training Mm -hmm. is the, uh, in my coaching and training, I make a differentiation between a leader being accessible and being present. Being accessible means my door is open, right? You can come to me anytime. I'm approachable. But being present is more proactive. Being present means I'm going to be present with you. I'm not going to wait for you to just need me and come to me. I'm going to be there with you. The team, the staff team at SC Thrive, I've, I, this is not blowing smoke. I, because it has made such an impact on me, I've tried to say it every chance I get to external and to you, Shannon, and the rest of the team there at SC Thrive. The, your presence at your training is uh, unlike any other that I've been to. Um, and it's not just that you're all wearing the, you know, the branded green and you're easily identifiable walking down the hallways. It's that you truly are everywhere. You're smiling, you're engaging people, you're directing people, you're answering, you're truly there as a resource at every step along the way at, at, from registration to in the, in the middle of a session to wherever it is, the team there, this just feels like one of the most coordinated, um, things I've ever been to because of the staff team there. So it, it really is exceptional in terms of quality. And the last thing I would say about the training itself is that um, I've also described it as 
big enough to feel like you're at a something significant, but small enough to not get lost small enough. I mean, I don't mean lost physically. I just mean to, you know, where you're just a, a number in the crowd, small enough where you can really create relationships, network and converse with people, find your way around the diversity of speakers and topics I've already talked about. We can talk more about it if you wanted, but th- those have been my big takeaways from, from this training is that the diversity of training approach, the quality and, and attention and engagement of the staff team and the optimal size that I think this training is for a statewide network like yours. Awesome, thank you so much. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Appreciate that. Um, there's definitely a lot of hard work that goes into all these um, trainings and different breakouts and everything like that. So we really appreciate any kind of compliments we get on that. Um, People that take definitely for granted that hard work. I mean, it oh really, yeah, I couldn't do it. I'm not. I am not an event planner. Don't ask me to run a conference. It would fail so miserably. <laughs> um, and so it really it take it takes a ton of work, and it's the behind the scenes work that people just you know you don't see it. You show up at a conference, you expect it. You expect it to be on. You expect it to run smoothly and. Um, for people to be there and answer your questions and uh, and to get value and quality out of it. It is not a small undertaking. What would you say to um, that small organization that maybe is on the fence about coming? What what would you say to them? What can they take away from an event like annual training? Yeah, I um, well, there's so much I could say about that. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you can tell already that I love analogies. Back in my younger, more athletic days, I loved playing tennis. And I found that the only way to get better at playing tennis was to play people that had played longer than me and were better than I was. That's how you get better. Small nonprofits get better by thinking bigger. And you think bigger by being around bigger nonprofits. On the other hand, the the small nonprofits can do things in their community that many large ones can't um, and particularly in small in the when the community is small because uh it doesn't take as long to be at all the primary tables and getting to know everyone from the mayor to the school superintendent to the policymakers to the bank president is a lot easier in a smaller community so the larger nonprofits have a lot to learn from the smaller ones about relationship building and bringing voice to the table and accomplishing things. The small nonprofits, they benefit from the thinking at a larger scale and not limiting themselves because, well, we're only a million dollar budget and we're not that global, you know, multi-million dollar thing, or we only have four staff or I'm the only staff and I'm part-time. And so you can't limit yourself and say, well, because of that, our impact has to be small. And I think that's what, and your, I think your training does that. I think it provides for um, organizations of all shapes and sizes to walk away with value and with benefit. So I think there's a mutual learning opportunity to have some of the larger nonprofits and many of the smaller nonprofits come together in, in an environment like this. And I think you probably have more smaller or, I mean, there are more smaller nonprofits than there are larger ones anyway. And I think that's represented in, in your attendance, not to say that there aren't large ones there, but um, I think this is a perfect place for smaller nonprofits to come and get some real value 
uh, and not have to, you know, fly to Tampa, Florida and spend, you know, $5,000 total to get this kind of training. So a uh, huge benefit, huge asset for the state, I think, is your annual training. Definitely. Um, so that kind of like pushes us into the into the um, next area, which is um, social determinants of health. And mm. so that's what we're going to be focusing on this year in the fall for our, for our annual training. So yep. um, we can open it up. Um, how how does social determinants of health, how do they kind of influence your coaching or how does your coaching influence social determinants of health, vice versa? Like, can you open up about that a little bit? Well, it's impossible to fully unpack it. Obviously, mm -hmm. the social determinants of health, first of all, just that that whole arena mm -hmm. is huge. Um, it's one of the things I've learned is how big it actually is, how many factors there actually are that influence our health um, mm -hmm. as, as it relates to coaching. You know, I, I apply the coaching model, whether it's we're talking about social determinants of health or whether we're talking about homeless shelters. Um, the coaching, again, is about elevating, drawing out and elevating your best thinking. So what I want to know for with if I'm working with a client who's trying to address social determinants of health, I'm going to use a series of questions. And, and I, you know, every every client is a little bit different and the questions build on themselves in a customized way. But for example, um, how are you defining social determinants of health? There are several, there are a number of models out there and theories on what the actual social determinants are. And mm -hmm. they're not really the same thing. I'm working with a national uh, network right now. They've got 50 pilot organizations that are working on uh, getting down to better metrics. And th these are, these are health related organizations and the national, um, coalition that's working on this is talking about social determinants of health. And one of the first things they've got to figure out is which model are we going to use as our sort of standard operational model for talking social determinants of health across our community? Because there are a number of them. So it's complex. The second thing is related to the complexity. Uh, what I've learned about the social determinants of health is, um, well, it's helped me open up more about when you talk about the health of a community, you're not just talking about health care. You know, you're not you're not just talking about when people are sick or or whatever. The social determinants of health, as simply as I can define it from what I've learned, is just the um, the elements that determine the health of a person or a community. Mm -hmm. Now, what are those? Well, okay, you so you st might start with well, the food we eat is important. Yep. That's a social determinant of health. Now let's talk about the food we eat. Why do we eat the food we eat? Well, we like it. That's one answer uh, because it's what's available. That's right. another answer. Oh, it's because it's what I can afford. afford. That's another answer. Um, it's what, it's what gets marketed and crammed down my throat in the media influences what I eat and how much I eat. How much exercise I get also has to do with what I eat because it's a counter thing. You can't just, you know, if you're trying to be healthy, it can't just be the exercise thing or the food thing. They right. work together. So <laughs> exercise and all that comes with that, social determinants of health. Are there places to walk and, and recreate in my community? Um, are they safe? Um, do I have 
access to transportation to get to my health appointments. These are all social determinants of health. I'll tell you one more thing I learned uh, from uh, Maricel Losa is the CEO of United Way in Greenwood here in, in South Carolina. And she has worked, she worked for uh, over a dozen years as the president of the Health Council of South Florida and founded the uh, Florida Statewide Association of Free and Charitable Clinics. And uh, she is an expert on these things. And she came on my podcast, The Leadership Window, uh, here a few, a few months ago. And we were talking a little bit about the social determinants of health. And I said, give me an example. And she goes, okay, childhood asthma. So not being, you know, being maybe the dumbest person in the room when it comes to medical things and healthcare and diseases and things, I'm thinking childhood asthma is either something a child is going to get or not going to have. No, it's preventable. Like really? Yeah. The the things that are in our carpets at home, do we have pets? You know, do, what about pollution in our city or our neighborhood? What's traffic like? What about the environment at our school? Like all of these things are social determinants of whether or not a child develops asthma. So it's important, you know, you don't have to be in the healthcare arena to, um, to want to think about and care about the social determinants of health. It is an, it is an, a nearly endless field of study, obviously, but those simple examples like that have helped me understand it's, it's important for me to care. And so when I'm bringing my, my coaching services to the organizations, the many organizations that are addressing social determinants of health, um, I've developed a, a, a much stronger respect and care for getting this right with our clients because they're, um, yeah, I should care. It's important for me. I here, here's a here's how I would sum it up: is I'm responsible for your health. Wow, like that's you know who would think that? Many people would disagree with me. I do what I want. I smoke. I drink. I do whatever. No, but what you do, what we do as a community, affects each other. What we mm-hmm. care about, what we champion, what we decide to bring into our community or ignore in our community affects your health. Um, and so, and your, your behaviors and the things that you're championing and caring about and thinking about in some indirect way affect mine. So I think we're responsible to care about these things in our community. Yeah, I think that definitely speaks a lot to just the state of the world right now and our community. Like we are very much responsible for not only our own health, but, you know, our neighbors, our family members, co-workers, friends, all that. Yeah. So was there anything else like for the average person that maybe is new to this, maybe has never heard of social determinants of health? You know, what would you say to that person? Why is it important to even be aware of it? Well, because most of the people, particularly in the nonprofit sector, if you're if you've got a social mission mm-hmm. uh, in the sector, you're you've got something to you probably got something to do with social determinants of health, whether you realize it today or not. So my advice would be do some do some basic study and research and just kind of sharpen up a little bit on what it is. If it, it you know if you're if you're watching this right now and you're like social determinants of health, I've heard that phrase, but that sounds so intimidating, so like. Mm-hmm for healthcare experts, uh, don't. It actually, while it's very complex, the notion of it is very simple. And it is that there are many factors affecting your health and my health that we don't think about on a daily basis. 
and we should. It's really that simple. So um, now the complexities of how you solve that and where you start and all the, yeah, that's, that's complex and it's difficult, but understanding that the things we do, the choices we make as individuals and as communities are affecting everybody, including ourselves. And that there are many things affecting our health that we don't think about. And that if we did, we have healthier communities. We have healthier communities. We have richer communities. If we have healthier communities, we have um, communities that have a far better psyche and morale. Um, mm -hmm. you know, so there, I mean, it, it, again, you could, we can spend a week on here uh, talking about it, but um, I would say, um, I think it's good too, that your training is focused on social determinants of health because the organizations that are coming to the training, they're not all in the health arena or the public health arena, but again, everything they're doing is related to this. So I, I think the training is going to help accomplish what I'm talking about, which is get people aware of how is my work connected to the social determinants of health and vice versa. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, and then we can just bring it back home. Like, how do you think in your opinion, can we make South Carolina healthier? Um, obviously it's, it's everything, right? Everything goes together. Mm -hmm. I would say I, I tend to, to champion two things maybe above others. And again, take this with a grain of salt because it's only the jinx perspective. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of talk and work right now, rightly so, on equity. The first thing I would say when it comes to the social determinants of health or making our communities healthier is use the data. Use the data. Some of the most powerful cases for equity that I've seen are the ones that show data in a way that is absolutely undeniable. And I think what's happening is we're caught up in the emotional of the, the emotional aspects of the conversation around equity and not as focused on the case making from a data standpoint. So for example, when you go to the, the you know, and I'll say this because I know she's, she's okay with my saying this. We've talked about it uh, again on our, our podcast with her. Uh, Molly Talbot Metz at the Mary Black Foundation in Spartanburg working on health equity. So how do they work on health equity? Well, the first thing they do is they show data that says, why is it? And, and here it is. Here are the lines. I mean, just the data says it. you can't, you know, why is it that? And I don't remember the numbers now. It's been about a year since I saw the data, but, but the gap between uh, white kids, for example, reading gaps. Let's talk about, you know, reading um, at third grade. Third grade reading is a key marker in the educational continuum in the development of a child. If they're reading at grade level by the third grade, you know, that's a good sign that things are on track. Well, why is it that in most communities, white kids have a higher percentage of third grade reading um, proficiency than kids of color. Why is that? Why? It's because kids of color are dumber. Of course not. <laughs> well, then why is it because we don't, is it because the schools don't like people of color? Probably not. So what is it? The data makes us ask the question. There's something there. There's a mm -hmm. reason why, um, you know, why, why are, uh, certain demographics, you know, why, why, why COVID, you know, why is there a higher positivity rate? among people of color 
for COVID-19. Why? This is before vaccines or anything, just the rate of it. Why? We need, we got to get to those answers. That's mm-hmm. that looking at equity and saying, look, it's this, this is about making sure everyone uh, has, has what, you know, that we're, that we're addressing this issue at a global level and not just for a few, you know, not just for people that are in, in the room making the decisions or whatever that might be. So uh, I think um, that's number one, equity, but from a data standpoint, I'm seeing too many conversations, quite frankly, about equity that are conceptual and yeah, I know I'm supposed to say it and believe in it and like it and we want to do it. And so we're going to put it in our strategic plan, but we don't even really know what that means to put that in our strategic plan. Data tells the story. The second thing I would say is uh, I'm a big believer that the earlier we can address issues for humans, the better. Um, The first three years of our lives are are where 80% of our brains are developed in the first three years. Talk about the 80-20 rule. In the first five years of our lives, 90% of our brains are developed. I've seen some studies that say 95 in the first five years. That's how critical this is. Social determinants of health get kids off to the right start. Now, um, I, I will say one more thing about that that I've been thinking about lately. Uh, there is a big body. There's a big uh, body of work around what they call ACEs or mm-hmm. adverse childhood experiences, and I think that's absolutely the right thing to focus on. I would love it if we could put a more positive spin on what we're actually focusing on. In other words, let's call it. I've said paces, right? Positively advancing childhood experiences. Uh, because I've learned that we we tend to hit what we're looking at. And so, yes, there are adverse experiences. Let's reverse engineer that and say, what kind of experiences should all children have? And let's pursue those. So I, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not against, you know, identifying what the challenges and barriers might be. And when we say adverse childhood experiences, we know that there are correlations between those and all kinds of other issues in their lives. But uh, if we flip that, which in, again, in my coaching work, I do a lot of work with appreciative inquiry, which is about this whole thing of don't focus on the barrier, focus on what's working. Uh, the book Switch several years ago by the Heath brothers, Dan and Chip Heath, uh, is about how to make change when change is hard. And one of the things they talk about is instead of focusing on the problem and going, why is that the problem? You focus on what's actually working and you try to replicate that. Let's take the bright spots where children are having the experiences that are leading them to productive places in their lives. And let's find out how do we, how do we make sure everyone has those experiences? So um, early childhood development and education and data, I think are two big keys to making our communities healthier among a myriad of other things. <laughs> Definitely, definitely. Was there anything else that you would like to add to wrap up our conversation for today? Um, you know, this is your your questions, I think, gave me an opportunity to share a lot mm-hmm. of my perspective with you. So I appreciate that. Um, I, I would just say this, that uh, I would reiterate that we're working in a sector that, in my opinion, moves too slow and um, under 
patterns and systems and constraints that we've got to figure out how to shed so that we can move faster. And how do you do that? You invest time, energy, and effort in learning together. It comes right back to your training. I, I can't, I can't state how much of a, an advocate I am for what you're offering here in terms of your annual training, because that's what we've got to do. We've got to figure out, we've got to get better at what we do. We're great. We're great people. We're in this for the right reasons. We're pa uh, nonprofit leaders are some of the most passionate, compassionate, caring, hardworking people you'll ever meet in your life. Um, but we have to hone our skills. We have to train our technique. We have to continually learn and we have to strive for excellence. And yes, I think more speed, um, our communities need it. And we need to, we need to move faster towards some of these things. And that means working together. And, uh, we can do that where, where two and two equals 10. That's the goal. So I just want to thank you again for giving me the opportunity to chat with you about these things. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Patrick, for this conversation today. I've really enjoyed it. And we'd like to thank anybody who's been viewing our podcast or broadcast today. Um, if you guys have enjoyed this Real People World Conversations, feel free to check out any of our other segments on our YouTube channel. And that is all we have for this video. Thank you guys for your time and have a great day. And that's the episode, folks. Thanks for listening in. I just want to say again, thank you to uh, Maria for reaching out to me and for Shannon for conducting this interview and for all of the staff and volunteers at SC Thrive for the work that you do across the state of South Carolina. I'm anxious to continue to work with you more. We're continuing to do some leadership development with their team. And uh, like I said, we're working on getting Trisha Richardson over here in the studio to record a podcast with us. We just got to get a date that works for both of us. And um, she's the CEO and just a, a an outstanding leader. I think she's someone that you all are really going to want to hear from in terms of how she leads and what her approach and process and thinking is with regard to leadership. So in the meantime, stay tuned for more, not only from SC Thrive, but we're going to hear from St. Jude's soon. We're going to hear from, we got, we got a lot of good stuff coming up. So in the meantime, lead on. Lead on.